repentance. It's a word that we're familiar with. And although there have been different definitions given for the word, we understand it's a very simple definition, really. Repentance is not saying that we're sorry, although that's reflected in the action that we take when we do repent, which means when we repent, we take a change of action. It's not only a change of action, but it begins in the mind and in the heart. We begin to think differently, and then we make those changes. As we read through the scriptures, we find that word often. As a matter of fact, it's a command. Although many people may not look at it as a command, it is a command, and we're going to look at that this morning. But repentance is something that is commanded by God, required of God, in order for us to come into the proper relationship with him. If we do not repent correctly, then we cannot have the correct relationship with God. So what does that mean for us? It means we need to understand the word and to come in line with that. Because if we do not repent, we are directly disobeying God. And if you would ask a person, do you want to disobey God, their reaction would probably be, no, I don't. But what do people do in order to repent? It takes action. It takes knowing God's word. What does God expect of us? And we tell people what they need to do to be saved. Repentance is included in that because there has to be a change. Because we become new creatures in Christ. And if we're not changing and we're not new creatures, then we've got a problem. We're going to be taking our lesson this morning from Acts, the 17th chapter, if you want to go ahead and turn over there. We're going to be looking at a few things based off of what Paul said to those that were in Athens. And Paul came across an inscription, as we read in this chapter, in verse 23, about the unknown God. These people were religious people. I don't think they had a lot of unknown gods because they were necessarily superstitious. Of course, that goes along with it a lot of times. But it was a lack of knowledge, not unlike what we have today even in this country. A country where God has been center point for many generations. Christ, services to God, religion, it's nothing new to this country. And yet there are still people who do not know God. That would throw up an inscription to the unknown God trying to cover all bases But as Paul is debating with the Athenians here, he makes a statement beginning in verse 31 based on what these people had been used to, based on the fact of their limited knowledge of God in religious matters uh, according to God, not just religious matters, but religious matters according to God. And as he says beginning in verse 30, And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. First of all, we can see that this is a divine command from God. Paul tells those people, That God commands repentance. God, being the creator of all things, being in the Godhead, has that right. 
in Christ being given all authority, as we read in Matthew 28, 18, also commanded repentance, and we shall see that as we go along. But it is a command. It's not an option if you want to be able to please God, have the right relationship with God, and eventually end up in heaven. It is not an option. We know that John the Baptist preached repentance. If we go back to Matthew, the third chapter, in verses 1 and 2, it says, In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was part of it. John also preached remission of sins, but he re preached repentance. Why? Because he wanted those people to change. Why would we preach repentance today to people who are not following God? Because we want them to change and to follow God. John said that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. It was time for them to repent and do what was right and follow God. In order to, and for the Jews, many Jews had a right relationship with God. Oftentimes we talk about Jews and we kind of use a broad paintbrush and talking about they were disobedient to God. Well, not all Jews were disobedient to God. There were many faithful Jews obedient to God. What about John the Baptist's parents? They followed God's law as it should have been. They were faithful. They were Jews. But we see that there were many that were not following as they should. And John goes about preaching and also Christ preached it. But John makes a very important statement. If we go down a couple of verses there in Matthew, the third chapter, verses 7 and 8, he says, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth, therefore, fruits, meat for repentance. In other words, you've got to do something. Works, fruits that are appropriate for repentance. To really show that you are repentant. It wasn't a matter of just recognizing the wrong. It was a matter of doing something about it. Now, I know as I was raising my children, if I pointed out something wrong, I was wanting them to learn from that. I wanted them to change. I wanted them to do what I had said correctly. So I would help them in that. I would help them understand how they were to do it correctly, and then they were to do it correctly. Not just sit back and say, okay, I got it. <laughs> we expect more of our children than that. But these people were commanded to repent, to turn to God. The kingdom was at hand. When Jesus had the Sermon on the Mount, that was one of the main things that he was trying to do was to get people to change their thinking, which would result in a change of action. And for many it did. On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 souls were added to the church because those people wanted to do something about it. It wasn't just accepting what was verbally said. It was embracing it and letting it change their lives. Although there was still a lot of teaching to be had, they obeyed what they were told to obey. But not only did John preach repentance and Christ preach repentance, but the apostles did also. When Christ sent out his apostles, they were to go out and, and preach that men should repent. Mark 6, 12. 
that they should repent. That was the main reason for them going. And we know that it, when Jesus said to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, that included repentance. Why? Because there was going to have to be a change. There was going to have to be a change of mind, a change of heart that would result in a change of actions. So they were to go out and preach repentance. As we see in the Great Commission, of course we know that the Great Commission was given to the apostles to start with, but as Brother J.C. pointed out this morning in class about verse 20, where Jesus gave the command to go out into all the world and you know, teach every nation, he says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. What were people commanded to do? To repent. So it was part of the process. That, that commandment came from Christ because they were going out doing what Christ had told them to do and they would teach people where that came from. Another couple of verses we can look at when we're dealing with repentance is what the Apostle Peter said. In 2 Peter 3 verse 9, there was a problem of those there that were getting tired of waiting on the coming of the Lord. They had adopted the view that, well, since Christ has not come yet, he won't ever come. But Peter said, God is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Very plainly, Peter says that God, first of all, is long-suffering. He's got patience. Not only that, but he says what God wants out of each individual. He wants each individual to repent. That means turn to him. God wants us to be dependent upon him. There are so many commands in the Bible that deal with our relationship with God that time would not allow us to go through them today. But yet there are plenty, and this is one. God wants men everywhere to repent, as we'll see in a moment in our text for our lesson. But Peter says that very plainly, that God wants us to repent. Is, not, is that not what he said on the day of Pentecost when the brethren, his Jewish brethren asked him what they should do after realizing that they had crucified the Son of God, and the men said, men and brethren, what shall we do? What did Peter tell them? He said, repent. Why? Because that's part of the process. That's part of the change. And then be baptized. A person is not ready for baptism if they haven't changed. There's no use in doing it. If a person's not willing to change and, and follow God and follow Christ... They go down in water, it's just getting wet. But we see that repentance was preached. It wasn't a silent subject. It wasn't something that was never talked about. It was something that was talked about and preached on a regular basis. But as we continue to look at what Paul says here, we can see that Repentance is a universal necessity. It's not just for one geographical location. Why? Because sin is a universal problem. Disobedience to God is a universal problem, and God wants everybody to repent, so therefore it is a universal necessity for man to repent. Sin 
is not our friend. And I didn't mean to make a rhyme there. It's just sin is not our friend. Why? Because it's destructive. Sin will destroy us in many ways. All we have to do is look around in our world and see how sin has just made a mess of things. And it's man's fault, not God's fault. Some people want to blame God. But it's not God's fault. It's man's fault. But we see the consequences. We see the results of sin. And I'm sure that each of us have have felt it somewhere in our lives that sin is so destructive. We see the pain of sin because sin is painful. We see the shame of sin. I don't know how long ago it took place, and I'm not saying that all psychologists taught such a thing as you don't need to feel guilty, but there are were a lot of people and maybe still do teaching that you don't need to feel guilty about what you do. Well, that's not what the Bible says. If we don't feel guilty, then how do we know if we've done something wrong? If we cannot, if we don't have the ability to feel guilt, then we'll never repent of something. We'll never apologize for anything. We have to understand that guilt is a part of sin. How about sorrow? Look at the Sorrow that has been brought into this world by sin. You know, and and I know that Adam and Eve could not conceive or comprehend in any way what was going to happen to the world once sin entered in the garden. But we can see because we've, we're what, some seven, eight thousand years down the road. We can see what it has done. And then also sin will bring death, physical death. Look how many times people have lost their lives involved in a sinful act. It happens way too often. So therefore, sin is a universal problem. It's man's problem. And therefore, God wants all men to repent of it and to change When Jesus was talking to the Jews, the Pharisees, Sadducees, they did have a problem with thinking they were better than the Gentiles. And Christ would give them examples how that just because something happened to a group of people over here because they were sinful, for them not to think that they were better than that, as he says in Luke 3, he says, I tell you, nay, But except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. A very pointed statement to them, trying to get them to realize that they're just like everybody else. And when Paul wrote in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, he was saying that, yes, all have sinned, but he was trying to make a point to the Jews that they were no better than the Gentiles. They had even sinned. It's not a problem. Sin is just not a problem with the Gentiles, but it's also a problem with the Jews. He was trying to make them understand that. It is a universal problem. As Paul says in Galatians 6, verses 7 and 8, talking about sowing and reaping, he said, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Why? Because a man's going to sow, I mean, reap what he sows. We're all going to reap what we sow. Are we going to sow to destruction? Are we going to sow to life, spiritual life? 
The choice is ours. God doesn't force us one way or the other. He gives us that opportunity. And if we are lost, we have no one to blame but ourselves. Are we sowing to the flesh? Are we sowing to the spirit? You have to ask yourself that question. Because it is easy to get caught up in the world. That was one of the problems in Corinth. They had so much sin around them. All these things going on, it was pulling on them. Just like our society today. Look how many young people end up in crime because it's more attractive than going and working an honest job and being an honest person. There's fun in sin. That's why so many people do it. But yet, as I mentioned a moment ago, there's misery in sin. There's sorrow and death. But yet, sin is attractive. We must realize for us to please God, we have to think on those things that are above, as Paul tells us. Our minds should be fixed on on heavenly things, pure things, righteous things, rather than the world. Uh, We can't escape the world. We can't get out of the world, but we don't have to be a part of it. We can decide, and we should decide, that we're not going to be a part of it. We need to recognize sin for what it is. There are too many people today who do not recognize sin as sin because they've been exposed to our world, which makes things look normal, accepted. One of the biggest problems we have in this world today is fornication people cohabitating as married but not in having children people do not see anything wrong with that I remember a time in this country when if a woman was just divorced the way people looked at her for right or wrong reasons whatever we understand, for those of, who, of us who are older, we understand that. But now people are proud to say that they have children and not be married. And it's even gotten to the point to where in the homosexual community, they're adopting children. Most people, especially younger people, are being so indoctrinated and so programmed that they don't recognize that these things are sin. That's why a man needs to repent because sin is universal. But also, repentance is an obligation that we have. We owe God. Everything in this world belongs to God. We didn't create anything. We didn't bring life into this world as God did. But it's an obligation. As he was speaking to the people here, Paul is is mentioning the fact that there was a time where they didn't have the complete knowledge or the type of knowledge that they had as he was speaking to them. He's speaking of time past, but at the present, he realized that Christ had already been crucified, that the gospel had already uh, gone into the world, and the church had already been established. But for a time, those things were not known, mainly to the Gentiles. So he is saying that it is an obligation to repent. We see that God has love for all mankind. Jesus came to this earth because of the love of God. He came so that man would have eternal life. 
We owe God. But we shouldn't serve out of obligation only. We should serve with the heart. Be thankful. How often are we thankful when someone does something for us? You get stuck in a ditch somewhere with your vehicle, and somebody comes by and pulls you out. How thankful are you for that person? As I was relaying the other night, some of us were sitting around, and that a friend of mine and I were out in the painted desert out in Arizona, and we got stuck in the desert. And had a guy come by. I mean, we're out in the middle of nowhere, and all of a sudden we, we hear this truck, and it just happened to be a guy going down the road out in the desert. <laughs> he pulled us out of that ditch. Well, I was thankful. I'm sure we can all relate stories like that. But how thankful are we to God that he sent his only begotten son that we would have the chance for eternal life? We're obligated to God, but God wants us to serve out of a heart that is full of love and appreciation and gratitude. But yet it is our obligation. Another thing he says here that's so important if you refer back and look back to the, the text. Although God has commanded men everywhere to repent, there's a reason for that. And we've been talking about it. But yet he gets very plain here in what he says. He says, because he hath pointed a day. A day. There's a judgment day coming. Not just some day. He says, a day in the which he will judge the world. See, that tells us we've got judgment day coming. 2 Corinthians 5.10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Why? Because we have to give an account of what we've done, whether good or bad. What we've done in this body, good or bad. We have to give an accounting to God. I would rather give an accounting to God as a member of the body of Christ than one outside the body of Christ. Although we do not know the time, that this will happen. It is a day that is fixed. God has fixed it. God knows what day that is. It is just sad that in our time that we have those who continually try to predict the end of the world. And some are so bold as to give an exact day. But we're told that no man knows that. Go to Matthew 25, verse 13. Nobody knows when that time is. But yet there will be a time. God does not want to punish anyone. But he has to in order to be a just God. He has to. But God doesn't want that to be the case. God wants us to serve him faithfully. That was Paul's purpose here was to get these people who were outside the body of Christ to obey, to understand and obey what they needed to do. He even tells them that there's a day coming that God has appointed a day. That should get people's attention. It doesn't take much to realize that we came into this world and we're going to leave this world and that there's going to be an afterlife and that we're going to have to live in that afterlife. Hopefully it's the right afterlife, which would be the spiritual, heavenly afterlife, as compared to eternal condemnation. 
And as Paul was speaking to the Thessalonians, he, he makes the same statement, except he gets a little, I think, a little closer to point. Second Thessalonians 1, beginning in verse 7, going through verse 9, he says, And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now what's going to happen to those people? He says, verse 9, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. It's not difficult. It's not complicated. It's just pure fact. And God gives us the opportunity doesn't force us. He gives us the opportunity to obey his word, to repent, to change our lives, and to live for him. Not live for ourselves. And that's what most people do. They live for themselves rather than God. I'm not saying it's easy to live for God because it's a daily thing. As Christ said, take up your cross daily. Not just on Sundays, not just on Wednesdays, but every day. We're blood-bought Christians every day that we live if we have rendered obedience unto the gospel. And as Paul says here, vengeance is going to be taken on those that know not the gospel, that obey not the gospel, and choose to live as they do. Oftentimes we hear questions. Well, will this particular sin cause a person to be lost? Well, what about this sin? Well, one thing I can tell you is the fact that obey, not obeying the gospel is what's going to send more people to hell than anything. But when we do become a child of God, if we do sin, as, as John says, that we can confess our sins and God is just and faithful to forgive us our sins, John, 1 John 1, 9. So even after we escape that world of sin, if we happen to sin, we don't live a habitual life of sin. We do sin occasionally, and John says that. If we say we have no sin, we make him a liar, and the truth is not in us. But we know as children of God, having obeyed the gospel, if we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, which is Jesus Christ. And as John says, that the blood of Christ will continually cleanse us as Christians. Remember, not walking in sin, but when we do sin. Repentance. What does it mean to you? Where are you going to put repentance in your life when it comes to serving God? Or as a child of God, what are you going to do with repentance? Are there things in your life as a Christian that just shouldn't be there? And that happens. We, we have attitude problems sometimes. Just because we're Christians doesn't mean that we're not going to have a bad attitude every now and then or whatever. We understand about being Christians and living for God, and then sometimes things just, you know, don't go the way that they should. You know, we have to change that too. We can't live with that as Christians because that will cost us our soul too. But I think Paul, within these two verses, says a lot about repentance, about attitude, about what we should do, what we need to do. As Paul always does, he's got a lot, of, a lot of great things. Of course, we know it's through the Holy Spirit that Paul wrote along with the other writers. 
But Paul wants us to realize, just as he wanted these people to realize, that repentance is something that's mandatory if we want to have an eternal home in heaven. What about you this morning? Have you never obeyed the gospel? Well, that can change. Hearing the word of God is the first step because we begin to understand that's where our faith is built. It's upon hearing the word of God. And then believing that Jesus Christ is the son of God. Knowing that he is the only begotten of the father who went to that cross for our sins. And then to repent as we've been talking about. Make those change. Confess Christ, as Paul says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, confession is made with the mouth. But as you see, all of these are part. You can't separate these. You can't say, well, I'm going to confess Christ, but I'm not going to repent. Or I'm going to repent, but I'm not going to confess Christ. Or I'm going to repent, but I'm not going to be baptized. Or I'm going to be baptized, but I'm not going to confess Christ. They work together. You can't separate them. And if you need to respond to that invitation this morning, I encourage you to do that. Because Paul says, taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's that simple. If you are a child of God and you need to straighten out some things in your life, don't hesitate. Because unrepented sin will cost you your soul. But whatever you need, we pray that you'll come as we stand and sing.